Thank you, David and Peter and Devon. Um, what a great old hymn and a great new emphasis to that old hymn. You know, people talk about God all the time, but unless they talk about Jesus, they're not really talking about the God that we know, the God that we love and that we serve. Uh, and so keep Jesus prominent in your mind. We're going to be talking a lot this year about the gospel. We're talking right now, though, about the spiritual life, the spirit-controlled life. If you were not here last week, it was really part one in a three-part series. And, and uh, I would encourage you, if you weren't here last week, to go back and either listen to the message online or, or pick up a disc in the, in the um, lobby because it will really connect all three of these messages together, or they are connected together, and it's very difficult to come in sort of in the middle. I got, kind of got messed up and thought you guys were going to be back last week. So I'm really disappointed in you that you uh, did not come back to Campbell earlier and then you had to and eat that great food at Marshbanks and other places on campus. If I were to use a phrase, a walk in the clouds, what would come to your mind? Probably you'd think about some romantic stroll by young lovers. Or maybe you'd even think about the movie of that title, with that title of about 15 years ago, which was indeed a romantic Move When you think about walking in the clouds, you think about life being really good. And it's really good when you're in love, isn't it? It's, you're just kind of up there. Or how about a walk to remember? That may bring to mind another movie and a book by Nicholas Sparks, which was also a romance, but it was kind of sad because this young girl, high school girl, battling with cancer and lost that battle, but told a lot of people about Jesus in that story because she loved him and went to be with him in that fictional story. Uh, a walk in the woods. Anybody here ever hear of a guy named Bill Bryson? A walk in the woods. Uh, he, he trekked across the Appalachian Trail back in the mid-90s and, and wrote about it. Quite an interesting story, I understand. He's also written a book about Australia that I'm going to read before I go hiking in that bush over there. Now let's go in another direction. If I were to ask you, or if I were to say, use the phrase, a walk in the Spirit. What would come to your mind? I mean, we're in church, so automatically you think about the Holy Spirit. You're going to be thinking about the Spirit. And if you were here last week, when we were in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 26, where we talked about the importance of allowing the Spirit to be in control of our lives, you would think, well, we're going to continue that series. And indeed, I've already told you that. And you would be right, even if I hadn't told you. So you can give yourself a pat on the back, because I'm sure you would have guessed it anyway. When you think about walking in the Spirit, most likely, you think about living with power and conviction, about powerful kingdom ministry, maybe about powerful preaching or the manifestation of the Spirit in the use of certain spiritual gifts. But that's not at all the Apostle Paul, the direction the Apostle Paul took when he was had just finished talking about walking in the spirit, walking in the flesh, and the and and the extreme consequences that are that will be the result of whether we choose to walk in the flesh or walk in the spirit. These handouts that you're getting is some ground that we covered last week about evidence that points to whether or not the flesh is in control or the spirit is in control. If you are a Christian, if you are a Christ follower, if you know Jesus as your Savior then there are two entities at work in you. One is the flesh, the old man, the old person. The other is the new creation, 
It's Jesus. It's the new man. Jesus living in you. And, and that part of you is controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm a little reluctant to give this out to you if you weren't here last week because the great danger is going to be, uh-huh, you look at the column on the left and you say, whoo, that's way too much me. I really want to be in this right column. So I'm going to resolve here at the beginning of this year that I'm going to quit doing these things and start doing these things. The point is, you got no chance of flipping from the left column to the right column apart from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one who leads us in this way when we're concerned about others rather than ourselves. We're walking in the Spirit and the flesh and our focus is on the needs of others rather than our own. It's the Spirit who does that. Now, Paul had spent a a great deal of time in Galatians 5 encouraging the readers there in Galatia to walk by the Spirit in verse 13, to live by the Spirit in verse 25, and to keep in step with the Spirit also in verse 25. Next week, as we come to the end of chapter 6, today is, is part 1 of, uh, of a t- our time in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 16. I was going to do it all today, but there was just absolutely no way. We're going to spend all of our time in the first six verses. And next week, I promise you, we'll get through the last ten. We won't be looking at all of them next week. But at the end of this section, once again, Paul talks about how that the flesh is nothing and that the creation that God has wrought in us is what allows us to live in the way that God wants us to. So, this morning our text is Galatians 6, verses 1 to 16, although we're only going to look at the first six verses. But as is our custom at Grace Community Church, would you please stand as we read the word, and I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught in the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatsoever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may be persecuted, may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me, to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Father, we 
ask indeed for your peace and your mercy to be upon us. Burn on our hearts, Lord, the need to walk in the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. And then, Lord, cause our focus to be so fully on Jesus and in your word that the Spirit does have control of our lives. Bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Now, if you were here last week, you would have seen it's very obvious in Galatians 5 that Paul was talking about walking in the Spirit. This I say, verse 16, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the lust of your flesh. And then he goes on to talk about the lust, of the flesh and the Spirit fight against each other. They war against each other constantly so that you're never going to be satisfied. If you're walking in the flesh, you're going to be saying, oh, I wish I weren't doing that. If you're walking in the Spirit, you're going to constantly be in, find yourself being attracted to things that are of the flesh. And there's this constant war going on. But he's encouraging us to walk in the Spirit. How do we know that he's continuing that thought in chapter 6? Well, he starts off saying, you who are spiritual, you who are controlled by the Spirit. Then he goes on to talk about sowing either to the flesh or the Spirit and reaping accordingly in verses 7 and 9. And finally, at the end of this passage, he says that the flesh is nothing but the creation that God has wrought in us through the Spirit allows us to walk in God's peace and mercy. So chapter 6 tells us what it's going to look like when we are walking in the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is in control of our lives. Now, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, I'm a good Christian man, or I'm a good Christian woman. And usually that's followed by telling me something that, that, that said Christian man or woman is doing for somebody else. Now, I know that people are often sincere when they say that. But often, but it just seems like most of the time when somebody says, I'm a good Christian person and I do this. It's pointing to me. It's pointing to, to, to something that I do more than it is to God who wrought this beautiful salvation in me. We are not Christians by virtue of what we do. We do good things because Jesus lives in us, because we've trusted that His death on the cross was payment for our sins. And He's changed our lives and the Holy Spirit is in control of us. If you are a Christ follower, then you are spiritual Though, as we saw last week from 1 Corinthians 3.1, some are more spiritual than others. Two types of Christians, carnal or spiritual. Carnal, it's on the left side of your column that you have. Spiritual, on the right side of the column. It just depends. Is the flesh in charge or is the spirit in control? Now, verse 1 begins the instruction for those who are spiritual, and he's talking to those who are more mature spiritually. They've been a Christian for a while. They've walked with the Lord. It begins in a bit of an odd place. He jumps in saying, If someone has fallen into sin, you who are spiritually mature should restore that person to fellowship with his or her brothers and sisters in Christ. Now maybe there was a specific instance that Paul had in mind when he wrote to the, to the people at Galatia. More than likely though, far more than likely, he was addressing the inevitable reality that sooner or later the flesh is going to catch up with some of us. I mean, there's this constant battle going on, and sooner or later some of us are going to lose the battle. And he says, when someone falls like that, then you need to jump in and, and restore them. 
The command is for those who are spiritually mature to rebuke that person and throw them out of the church. Right? Not hardly. It's the exact opposite. Gently restore that person. We, we live in a day of pointing fingers. We're really good at passing the blame. I, I saw a cartoon several years ago that was really funny to me. It's, it's kind of sad that it's funny, but and, and, and it points out the sad reality that we have of pointing fingers. There's this basketball team you can see on the clock in this cartoon. There are five seconds left. And the home team is one second, uh, one point behind. And the coach has gathered the team around and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to work the ball around and I want you to get it to Stevenson. I want you to take the shot. And if, with one second to go. And Stevenson, if Stevenson misses the shot, I want everybody else to start pointing your fingers and, and calling out names, calling them names, bad names. Stevenson, what are you doing missing the shot? But that's where we are. And maybe that's why so few Stevensons are willing to take the last shot, because we're afraid that people are going to point at us if we do anything. You know, um, if you want finger pointing, watch CNN or Fox News. But please, leave your finger pointing outside the church. If someone falls, we need to gather around and lift that brother or sister up. Now, please understand that in order to restore someone to where they were before, there has to be a willingness on the part of the person who has fallen to be helped. Not many of us want to be helped, especially if someone's saying, hey, you got a problem and we need to deal with this. I mean, most of us would rather lie on the ground and say, get away, get away. I don't want any of your help. I don't need your help. There's nothing wrong with me. The problem is with you. The sin that's referred to here is not deliberate, habitual sin, but a sin that catches a person off guard and rather suddenly overtakes that person. That ever happened to you? Of course it does. Happens to all of us. We just find ourselves, how did I do that? I mean, that's the last thing I would have expected to do. And yet I find myself doing this very thing. That's kind of the thing that he's talking about, which of course, though, once we're overtaken with the sin, if we don't deal with it, chances are it will become deliberate and habitual. But if a person is addressed, his sin is addressed, and, and, and brokenness is very evident in this person, you're right, and I just, oh, I'm, I'm wrong, I need to confess this before the Lord, then, then help the person and move on. Don't dwell on it. Don't be constantly bringing that back up. And by the way, those of you who were doing the helping, be careful. Because you're likely to... If, if you yield to the temptation of the flesh to think, well, I'm going to have to fix this problem, then the chances are you're going to yield to the flesh in the same way or maybe in some other way altogether. And you may find yourself needing rebuke and restoration in the very near future. That's what verse 1 says. I tell you what, whenever we're in a position to tell somebody they got a problem, it's just automatic. We feel like we need to hitch up the pants, you know, and deal and take care of business. It's time to deal with this. You know, there's an aspect of the command to restore here that we often don't consider. I mean, the Greek word for restore has the idea of putting something back to its former condition. It, it, it was used in when a bone needed to be set or a, a joint was dislocated in someone and, and it needed to be 
taken care of. Most of the time, uh, we're not going to address someone else's sin until it can absolutely no longer be ignored. And, and while that's understandable, we need the courage to help people who have very obvious dislocations of joints and, and, and broken bones. I mean, we'll deal with the sexual sins because we have to. We're forced to. When there's a big sexual sin, we've got to deal with it. But we often refuse to deal with perpetual grouchiness or uncontrolled anger in the lives of kingdom people. I'm not talking about minor attitude problems, but obvious character flaws that show up in speech and facial expressions. And there are other acceptable sins that we tolerate in the church, such as laziness and gossip and backbiting. And when we leave those sins unaddressed, it's the same of allowing someone to walk around with a broken bone. Kind of like the Joe Theismann, you know, the Lawrence Taylor head on Joe Theismann. And if you never saw that, and you've seen, um, what's the movie now? That's uh, The Blind Side. Blind Side. You can see it, but just for a brief second. Oh, it was awful. It took me, when they replayed it, I was watching the game that night, and they replayed it about, about the eighth time. I said, oh, no, because his bone was just sticking right out of his pants. And, oh, it was awful. And, but when we refuse to deal with, with problems that people have, that's exactly what's happening. We're just letting them lie in this desperate condition, living in pain and functioning at far less than full capacity. Now, once again, the point is not to deputize you to seek out sinners in the church and shoot them where they stand. That's not the idea. In fact, we have to earn the right to help people, unless it's one of these obvious things that has to be dealt with. We have to earn the right to come alongside somebody and say, you know, I, I, I sense that you're struggling with something. And we do that, we earn that right by spending time with people and, and knowing, letting them know for a long time before the, the problem is ever addressed, before it even comes up, that we love them and that we care deeply about them. And then they're willing to listen when we say, I, I've got a concern and is there, I, I just want to know, is there anything I can do to help you? In this process, though, there is great danger that the flesh will overtake the spiritual one, the one who is helping, and turn them into an unspiritual state. So be careful. We would do well to follow Martin Luther's advice to a pastor who was called to help a fallen brother. Run unto him, and reaching out your hand, raise him up again. Comfort him with sweet words and embrace him with motherly arms. Most of us never get to this place because we don't deal with somebody else's sin unless it directly affects us. And usually that's when somebody has done something to us. They've attacked us. They've, they've said things about us. They, 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 they've disagreed with us. And, and, and so we're going to... We're going to tell them right now where your sin is. And it's, you, you're just not in a kind of mood that says, come and let mama give you a hug. You know, it's not like that at all. But when someone is, has fallen, as Martin Luther says, go running and help restore as gently as possible. Well, helping one another is the primary focus of these first few verses. In verse 2, 
Paul tells us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The Greek word for burden here is baros. It refers to a, a heavy load that's, that absolutely cannot be lifted by one person. It's like cargo that's being lifted on to a ship, to a freighter. And, of course, the only way one person could do that is with a crane, and there were no cranes in Paul's day. So the idea was this burden is too heavy for one person to bear. It's going to take several people shouldering the load. We need to come alongside of a person and help them. You know, um, the sin that is spoken of in verse 1 is such one such heavy burden. But there are many others. Loss of a job. Loss of a loved one. Loneliness. Divorce. Certain physical ailments or disabilities. Depression. Depression. In this category, all of these are too much for one person to bear. Sooner or later, most of us are going to be in a place where the burdens are too great for us to carry along. But there's good news. We are a family, and that's what families are for, to help people bear their burdens. In fact, it goes much further than the fact that we're a family. We are a body. This body, in fact, Grace Community Church, is the body of Christ that God called to put in this place at this specific time in history for a very specific purpose in His kingdom. And the body functions, if it functions as it should, we're constantly helping one another out when the burden becomes too great. If you go to pick something up with your left hand and it's too heavy, what do you do? You pull your right hand over. And if it's really heavy, then you get down and you, and you sort of, you get your whole body into it. That's the way we're supposed to function. It's a bit, it's a bit disconcerting though to realize that sometimes much of the body simply ignores another part that is hurting. And when that happens, the whole body is damaged. You lift something that's too heavy the wrong way, and what happens? Oh, boy. You're hurting your back. And when your back is hurting, everything is miserable with your your body. You know, the reason that we fail to help each other out is that we're spending too much time attending to the flesh. That's Paul's explanation in verse 3. The way that we treat others is often to a large degree dependent upon what we think of ourselves. When we have a very high opinion of ourselves, we're likely not to consider the needs of others. Thursday night, Allison and I went to see Joshua Bell and we saw Jan Calvert there at Joshua Bell. Man, I wish you could have all been there. One of, if not the premier violinist in the world. It was amazing. It was a very short performance by Josh. The North Carolina Symphony performed for a good while, then took a break, and then he performed for 35 minutes. So it was basically $2 a minute for that uh, amazing performance. But I'm telling you, it was worth every penny and then some. Right in front of Allison and me sat the noise Nazi, the all-time ultimate noise Nazi. Shh! Shh! She was shushing everybody. Some people clapped at the wrong time. No, no, no. What a disgrace. Well, 
sitting next to, I'm here, neo-Nazis in front of me. I mean, uh, noise Nazi is in front of me. Allison is here, a nine or ten year old blind girl is beside her, and a loving mother who was given her daughter the great gift of seeing what was on that stage. You guessed it. The Nazi, the noise Nazi, shushed the blind girl. Shh! I wanted to say, lady, don't take yourself so seriously. This mother is performing a beautiful thing for her daughter. But I didn't want to get jack slapped. I'm telling you. I'm, I, so I just shut my mouth. And say anything. Well, when we think highly of ourselves, we're not likely to help other people. We become too self-centered to be self-giving. You know, in order to help manage someone else's burden, oftentimes you have to put your own burden down and come alongside and, and help pick it up. And you know what? Every single person that came in here this morning came in here with a burden. Your heart may be light for good things going on, but something is there in the back of your mind. There's something else going on that's difficult. And when you see somebody else with a problem, so often the, the, I'd like to help you, but I got my own stuff, you know? And when you put your burden down, to go over here, one of the, one of the things, things that makes it so hard to do is that needy people are, are needy. And our time and our resources are going to be disrupted when we move to help somebody else. And so we say, ah, can't do it. But when we look beyond ourselves to help others, we fulfill The law of Christ. Now, what is the law of Christ? I mean, much of Galatians is dedicated to the truth that we cannot keep the law. We're not good enough to keep the law. But no one will ever be justified before God by keeping the law. You can't do it. The law of Christ certainly involves the moral teachings of the Old Testament law. In fact, when Jesus taught those Ten Commandments, except for the Sabbath, added to them and He said, not only... Can you not kill someone if you, in your heart, hate your brother or sister? You are guilty in in God's eyes of murder. You lust strongly, and that is, by the way, a strong lust. If I would, I, if I could, I would. Kind of a lust that he's talking about. If you lust strongly in your heart after another individual, not that minor lust is okay, but that's I'm just saying that's the kind of lust he's talking about. If you do that, you're guilty of adultery. In God's eyes, it's the same. That law is even stiffer than the law. And and all of Galatians points to the fact we can't keep it. No, we can in the flesh on the left side of the column, or this is your left, on the left side of the column. But when the Spirit is in control, then, according to Galatians 5, when he talked about the fruit of the Spirit, 22 and 23, there's no law against those things. When you are walking in the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, goodness, meekness, temperance. Against such things there is no law. When you are walking in the Spirit, when He's in control of your life, you're automatically fulfilling the law. So, the law of Christ is the moral law that He affirmed in His teachings, but it's also... 
And probably more what Paul is referring to here is the law of love. And that's what we've been talking about all morning. Loving one another to help them overcome a sin and restore them to the place that they were. Or to helping someone who has this tremendous burden. But in, in John thirteen thirty four, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. In John fifteen twelve, Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, if you'll check your sheet from last week, you're going to see that the one who walks in the flesh is self-centered. Whereas when the Spirit is in control, God and others become one's focus. One of the ways that we help other people is to take care of our own business as well as we can. Now, that's not talking about being so focused on yourself, but to bear your particular share of the load here at the church. Verses 2 and 5 can be can seem almost contradictory. It's confusing at best and can almost seem contradictory, especially if your translation, which a lot of them do, translate bearing the burden in both verses. You're to bear others' burdens in verse 2, but then you're to bear your own burden in verse 5. The answer, the, the, the explanation for this is in the Greek. You're going to talk more about this in home group, but let me just say, there are two different Greek words. Beros in verse 2 refers to that heavy burden that we discussed earlier. One that's too heavy for any one person to handle alone, to bear alone. In verse 5, the word is, is fortheon, and it, it means a smaller load like a backpack. In other words, when the load is too heavy for somebody else, everybody needs to come alongside and help. But but look, everybody's got a burden to, 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 to carry. When you're, you ever taken a hike on the Appalachian Trail, anybody here ever done that? We used to do that when I was at the camp. We would do that. And inevitably, there'd be somebody saying, Oh, my pack is too heavy. And, of course, some bleeding heart would say, Okay, here, let me take it. And now they're carrying two. But when that person's carrying two, he's not as much, he's not of, as, as of much value to the rest of the group as when he's carrying only one. When you've got your own backpack, you're free to do a lot of other things, but when you're carrying others, other people's too. And so he's saying everyone should bear his own responsibility. You've got responsibilities. Every single person in this body has a role to play. And if you play the role that the Holy Spirit has called you to play, if it's no more than picking up trash, you see some trash on the floor and you just pick it up. Or outside, you see trash and you pick it up. That's no less important than my role. The role that every one of us are called to is to make the message of Jesus, make the name of Jesus known in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our dorms. And it's also to encourage and to build up other brothers and sisters. And if you're doing that, your job is every bit as important as mine. It's how it works. Just like if $5 is all you can give a month, that's as important as the person who's given $5,000 a month. That's kind of a hint for those of you who could give 5000 a month. More than it is. Well, speaking of uh, speaking of money, didn't mean to segue like this. Um, one of the ways that we help each other, though it may seem odd to you at first, is through supporting the church financially. Now, verse six is somewhat of a transition verse between the first and latter parts of the chapter. One who is taught in the word must share all good or material things with the one who teaches. It was customary in ancient time for teachers. Uh, of different religions to charge when people would come into the temple. They'd charge them at the door. 
I don't want to take the chance on seeing how much you think of my preaching to do that. And in fact, the New Testament says that's not the way it is in the church. But it makes it quite clear that one of the primary focuses of the church is the teaching of the Word. And the minister who is ministering the Word has to be free to study and prepare and to teach the Word. So that... We can come and hear sermons like this where we're reminded of the privileges and the responsibilities that we have to bear one another's burdens. Once a church begins to grow, more people need to be paid to lead different parts of the ministry, although all of us are called to do the work of the ministry. You know, we've talked about finances quite a bit lately at Grace Community Church because we, as so many churches, the majority of churches in the country, have struggled financially. And the response has been really great. Um, We've done well this last quarter, but unless we hang in there at the same place, and you're going to hear that, by the way, next week there's going to be a quarterly report. It will be brief, but we said at our church meeting, our annual church meeting, we'll be doing that to let you know where it is how we're doing and where we're standing right now. But unless we keep it up, we're going to be right back to the same place. And there are indications that January is moving us back to where we were, which is to a significant financial hole. Now, whether or not you give will certainly determine the financial health of the church, but it's not really spiritually healthy to once again, you know, hitch up your pants and say, well, I better do my part, keep this little church afloat. You know, I like this little church and... Going to try to do my part and keep things going here. That's not, that's not at all the point. Far better for us, according to this passage, to recognize that once again, what we do with our money is an indication of whether the flesh is in charge or whether the spirit is in, in control of our lives. And it also is an indication of two things about our values, our priorities. It will tell us two things. One, what we think about the body. And two, what we think about the Word. Because the finances in, in Galatians 6.6 6 support the ministry of the Word. And the Word tells us how to treat one another. So, what we think about the Word, what we think about this body, will be indicated by what we give. Now, you give to other places and, and Praise the Lord, you should. But this verse says, give it here. Because this is where you're being blessed. I'll say this to the students. When my kids were in school, when my kids were in college, UNCG, Appalachian State, and they'd want to send a check to Grace, I'd say, okay, you know what? I'll accept it this time, but please, give it to your church. Give it where you are being ministered, where the Word is ministering to you. That's where it's supposed to go. Where you're being ministered. Well, all of this comes together, kind of a weird place to stop. We would do well to follow the lead of a church from a a few centuries back. In in England during 1790, the church at Stony Stratford signed a covenant to treat one another according to the principles that we've seen today. And here's what they promised. To walk in love toward those with whom we stand connected in the bonds of Christian fellowship. As the effect of this, we will pray much for one another. 
As we have opportunity, we will associate together for religious purposes. Those of us who are in more comfortable situations in life than some of our brethren, with regard to the good things of providence, can you see how they, they understood that the, that the blessings they had weren't wrought by hard work, although that's partly true, but it's providence that allowed them to have the minds and the bodies and the, and the work ethic to, to get what they had. And they said, so if, if God has done that for us, then we will administer as we have ability and see occasion to their necessities. We will bear one another's burdens, sympathize with the afflicted in body and mind, so far as we know their case under their trials. And as we see occasion, advise, caution, and encourage one another. We really ought to be doing a lot more encouraging than rebuking, so don't take too much from this message. But certainly we ought to be encouraging one another. We will watch over one Well, you know what, what I mean by that. Don't take too much the wrong way. Please take a lot from this word. But don't take it and misuse it. We will watch over one another for good. We will studiously, studiously avoid giving or taking offenses. Thus, we will make it our study to fulfill the law of Christ. That last line is quite powerful, isn't it? We will make it our study to fulfill the law of Christ. This crowd is all about study. Either you're studying for Dr. Bowman's class or he's making you study for his class. We need to be studying the law of Christ.